Welcome to Full Core Press, and I'm Liam Griffin. Connor, you know, I couldn't believe it when I saw it this morning, but your UT Longhorns landed Greg Brown, widely considered the best power forward in the country. Yeah, the, the Austin native uh, he is decided to actually give UT uh, at least one year of uh, college play. Uh, his other option basically was going to the G League, but I'm very happy that he committed to UT and I uh, look forward to seeing him next year. I must say, dude, I am impressed with your boy Shaka Smart. All right, boys and girls, back with you today is good old Mr. Houston Astro, Connor Asger. <laughs> On today's episode, we will be breaking down the top 10 World Series games of the 2010s and NBA playoff moments of the same decade, but we have two things to discuss before that. Starting with the bombshell news from early this week, Rob Gronkowski is coming out of retirement to reunite with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. Gronk joins an offense already loaded with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Connor, where does this put Tampa Bay in your NFC hierarchy? Well, it's it's kind of hard to say because uh, I think the biggest question is if Tom Brady will be the Tom Brady that he has been or if uh, any factor will happen with Tampa Bay. I just feel like there's so much uh, going on, so many new parts and pieces in Tampa Bay that I don't know if I can put them first in uh, the NFC, but if, if they prove that they can play, I definitely see them as the best potential team to make a run at the, uh, at the Super Bowl at the end of the season. Alright, so as of right now, their offense is hands down the best in football. It is. It just is. But, the question is the defense. Can the defense get it together? Now, in 2011, the Patriots defense allowed just handed out yards on a silver platter to bad teams, but Brady was still able to get that team to the Super Bowl, albeit they lost that Super Bowl, but this offense is just as, if not more powerful than that 2011 offense. So, they absolutely can make a run. They are absolutely near the top of the NFC hierarchy. I'm a, I'm a little hesitant to put them at the top of their division because Drew Brees and the Saints aren't going anywhere anytime soon. But, oh man, they're going to be unfair on Madden 21. That's for sure. Well, Liam, it was a rough start this week for Boston fans, and it got worse. Rob Manfred has stripped the Red Sox of of their second-round pick and suspended video replay coordinator J.T. Watkins for stealing and decoding signs illegally. However, Manfred came to the conclusion that the front office, coaching staff, players, and players had no knowledge of, of this illegal activity, and the ownership took great measures to ensure a culture of compliance after Apple Watch scandal of 2017. Liam, is this a fair punishment? I'm going to be totally honest with you, and this may sound biased because it probably is, but I'm still going to voice it anyway. I believe that the only reason the Red Sox were investigated in the first place was because Alex Cora was a part of the Astros scandal. So, in terms of what they did, it's really just a slap on the wrist. I mean, I said the other day, JT Watkins, to my knowledge, is someone in near the bottom of the front office totem pole, and a second-round draft pick, honestly, more often than not, turns out to be a throwaway. So, I mean, if you want to call it a punishment, you can, but honestly, I couldn't care less. The title, I would say that the World Series Championship title is in no way tainted. I 
Hope that Alex Cora gets another chance to be a manager, and uh, go Red Sox. I, coming from the the other side of, oh boy, here we especially go. as a Astros fan, here we go. I, 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 I don't think I will like go as far as to say that the Red Sox were cheating on the same level as the Astros were doing, or it, because of what the information that has come out. Uh, I would say though. The Red Sox, the Yankees, the Dodgers, they are the team, the Cubs, they're the teams that the MLB markets the most. They're able to, they have the biggest names, they have the ability to bring in the biggest market and the biggest, uh, I guess, view, the biggest amount, or the largest amount of views for their given World Series or their given playoff series. So I think it's going to be always a little lighter on the on oh the top <laughs> teams and I would put Ash, the Astros in a secondary spot but again I think the Astros they did cheat they did they did use what they did and I understand that there needs to be you know uh, understanding of what they did was wrong but at the same time I feel like you're stepping back from the fact that cheating is bad when you're just punishing this one guy no, 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 no. not really related to the to the team but at all. I gotta say, but I firmly believe that every team does something similar to this, though. Yes, yeah, and, and it, it's inevitable because uh, baseball is one of the few sports where there's it's basically slow enough that you're able to uh, have a little bit more strategy and, and try different ways. And uh, to, to all the fans who say that uh, teams aren't cheating or they aren't sign-stealing. Sign-stealing itself is not cheating. But using it electronically is cheating. Everyone's using electronics, though. There's there's tons of iPads and different monitors in the dugout, and it seems like there's always a way for teams to be connected electronically. Just think about when managers get uh, ejected from the game, they're still caught right up to everything and they know everything that's going on. Obviously, uh, there are a little bit more uh, electronics uh, in the in the dugout area than uh, most people probably realize. And uh, in this virtual world we live in, especially right now, I think it's safe to say that it won't be going away anytime soon. And with that, on to our discussion about the best World Series games of the past decade. Connor, start us off with your number 10. Well, I don't necessarily know if uh, my list is the same for many uh, MLB fans, but uh, I try to be as unbiased as possible, but uh, I decided for number 10 to be my, my bias uh, one, and that was Game 7 of the 2017 World Series with the Astros uh, basically knocking you Darvish out That's fair. Uh, early in the game. Uh, it was it, we did it we did it uh, earlier on in the series and uh, that felt good but knocking him out again that was one of the most like that was one of the best uh, games I've ever watched I've never seen a pitcher get knocked out of the game so early twice in a row by the same team uh, and I mean he was tipping signs so like it was just a very interesting game even though. Uh, it probably doesn't rank along with uh, some of the other ones on my list. This game was in LA, so you can't accuse the Azure team there. So, <laughs> so my number one is actually game one of the 2015 World Series between the New York Mets and the Kansas City Royals. This game had everything. It was 
It went four. It went fourteen innings. Then inside the park home run on the very first pitch of the game for the Royals, by the way. And the Mets lost the game on one of the most Mets-like ways. They were up four three going into the bottom of the ninth, but then Alex Gordon hit a home run to dead away center to tie the game off. Familia, who was one of the best closers in baseball at the time, and then of course the pitcher that ends up losing the game is a. Uh, Good old Bartolo Colon giving up a sacrifice fly to Eric Hosmer and driving in the driving in the winning run. And if you think about it, that game was that game had a tremendous impact on the series itself because if the Mets win that game and along with another game I'm going to touch on later, it is a very 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 different series. And ultimately, it, game one really turned out to help the Royals. Yeah, I actually have that later on in my list, um, um, but. Jumping to my number nine, uh, I have actually have a Red Sox game. Uh, it was in 2013, the game four, Red Sox over Cardinals. Oh, Johnny uh, Gomes! Yes, and I think the like ultimate way to sum up this game was just uh, the, the very end of the game. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 The game ended up pickoff. Colton Wong was picked off by the Red Sox closer. Not gonna say, not gonna pronounce that name. Uhari. Yes, but it was, I remember this game being one of the, like, most nerve-wracking, because I, I, I was cheering for the Red Sox in that game, uh, just because I didn't really care for the Cardinals at the time. Uh, I, and we were friends, and we were friends. I was we amazed friends. by the game in a whole, but then the way it ended was just so confusing and crazy, um, that's why I ranked it at number nine. Oh, remember the game the previous night, game three, ended on an obstruction call, too. That, yeah, walk-off, walk-off obstruction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my game, number nine is also a Red Sox game, but it is from their more recent championship, that is 2018. It's game four when Jaziel Puig hit a three-run home run and took 30 seconds to run the bases as the <laughs> Dodgers went up 4 nothing. Rich Hill done six shutout innings at this point, but he, for some reason, Dave Roberts pulled him after striking out Eduardo Nunez, which gave way for Mitch Moreland to hit a three-run pinch, pinch hit three-run home run, and then the next inning, Steve Pierce, home run off Jansen to tie the game. Next inning, Devers with the go-ahead hit, Pierce with the bases clearing double. The rest is history. Red Sox win the game nine-six. If the Red Sox had lost that game, I don't even want to talk about all. The all of the uh, raids that would have gone on in Boston, because series would have been tied 2-2, Kershaw on the mound in Game 5, who knows? Yeah, I, I actually have that one later, too. Uh, I think I, uh, next, at number 8, I think I have the other uh, Royals-Mets game that you were referring to, um, Game 5 of the 2015 World Series, which uh, went to 12 innings. Uh just basically, like, this this World Series in particular was one of my favorites to watch. Uh, the Royals were basically the, the underdog team, the, the team that, you know, up until this point, I hadn't really, um, I hadn't really known about them too much until their, uh, their two World Series runs. Until they beat uh, the Astros, you mean? Yes, yes, I actually, that was my first Astros playoff game. Uh, watching watching the Royals. Uh, actually, we won against the Royals the game I went to. But yes, that it hurt. It hurt a little bit. But 
it was it was definitely an interesting series to watch. Oh, I'm sure. All right, so my number eight is actually from 2017. It was game two between the Astros and Dodgers where Berliner had been th- had a lot of hits till the fifth inning, but then he gives up home runs and back-to-back innings to put the Dodgers up 3-1. to one. And then the Astros, had, the Astros are able to rally for two runs off the Dodgers' back end of the bullpen, which had been dominant in the postseason up until this game, including a home run from Gonzalez. Then... In extra innings alone, there were five home runs, including back-to-back shots from Altuve and Correa. And the Astros ended up winning 7-6, with the difference maker being a two-run shot from George Springer. I'll be shocked if that's not on your list at some point. Oh, yeah. It's, it's later, It's later too. Okay, my number seven, which you've already covered, was uh, game four of the 2018 uh, World boy. Series. Uh, Red Sox over Dodgers, 9-6. But... Uh, Something I wanted to add to your uh, point was that uh, the game the night before uh, basically made all all uh, all six uh, all six uh, relievers uh, the the Dodgers pitched um, uh, in the in the game before. So basically, they were coming back, and all of the pitchers had been uh, already already faced the batters the night before. So so basically, uh, the Red Sox got another opportunity and. Uh, they, they did a great job against them. I'll touch more on that game later. My number seven is a game seven from the first of three game sevens I have on this list from 2014 when Madison Bumgarner threw five dominant innings of relief to cap off what was one of the greatest postseason runs by a pitcher in Major League Baseball history. And in that game, Alex Gordon got on base in the bottom of the ninth with two out, and then after 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 some errors in the outfield, Gordon was able to get to third, but, but Mad Bum got Perez to pop up in pop up in foul territory, and Sandoval made that catch to send the Giants to their third World Series championship in five years. And while this wasn't exactly a jaw drop game with jaw dropping moments, what speaks to it is that Madison Bumgarner on two days rest came in and threw five shutout innings to pitch the Giants. On the road, nonetheless, to another championship. Yeah, I I actually have that one later, so I'm interested. I'm interested to see um, what your top picks are. Uh, my number six is probably uh, one of the first one of the first games that I like uh, really, really, really got into the watching the World Series was Game One of the 2015 World Series of. Uh, the Royals beating the Mets 5-4 in 14 innings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I touched uh, on that earlier. You've, you've talked on this already, but, uh, again, it was just, it was a, it was a, it was one of those games where I will never forget, like, watching it because of how uh, just intense it was going back and forth, and uh, this being only game one of the World Series also made it kind of special in um, the fact that uh, it went, such great links, and the game was so close. Alright, so my number six is a game from the same series you talked on, and that's game five of 2015 between the Royals and the Mets. I was deeply mistaken. Game five was the most Mets way possible to lose a game, because you had Matt Harvey, who had done eight scoreless innings, come out for the bottom, for the ninth, after persuading his manager, I don't know who it was at the time, to let him come back in, and then you allow... You make it 2-1, then one out, you have a chopper to third base. You get the out at first, then the runner who's on third comes comes home, 
but the throw is wide, and they would have had him, the game would have been over, but the Royals scored, tie the game, then they get five runs in the top of the 12th, Kansas City Royals, one year after losing the World Series, they end up winning it, isn't that poetic? Yep, that I I would agree. Okay, number my number five is uh, a game. I think you already talked about game two of the World Series in 2017. Yeah, um, Astros winning seven six and eleven. Uh, just to kind of hit hit on uh, the end of that game, the reason why it was so special was uh, Marwin Gonzalez hitting the tying home run off of uh, off of uh, Kenley Jansen, which. Uh, which might have been at, at the time I had thought of uh, of Jansen as a lockdown closer, something that I wish the Astros had so bad. And speaking of that lack of closer, uh, one of my least favorite players of all time, Ken Giles, oh. <laughs> uh, decided to make things interesting. You know, he's uh, actually a lockdown guy now. <laughs> okay, he's a lockdown guy when there's no pressure on him. And, I mean. All respect to him, but he probably gave me some of the most. Uh, he, he definitely made games way more interesting than they. No, you had Tim Giles all over your Snapchat story that year. Yes, because I was very. Uh, <laughs> I was not very happy with uh, the work Tim Giles was doing, but. Uh, but yeah, but George Springer, of course, saved us at the very end of the game. Uh, again, solidifying why he. 2017 was his probably his best performance um, out of out of out of it every year, and um, I was very grateful for his World Series performance that year. For sure. All right, so my game five probably isn't going to make you too happy, but it is game seven of the most recent World Series in 2019 between the Nationals and the Astros. The Astros were up two nothing going into the seventh inning. Greinke was dominant as ever, six shutout innings. Then. Within a matter of seconds, run down, Rice Guy, Go Alice, hits a home run to make it 2-1. to one. And then, after a walk to Soto, the AJ Hinch, for some reason, puts in Will Harris instead of Garrett Cole, and he allows a two-run home run to Howie Kendrick. It still baffles my mind to this day why AJ Hinch did not put Garrett Cole into the game, and that's part of the reason why it's on there, because of the stupidity that he showed, if you ask me. And then, yeah. the Nationals get three more runs. And the Baby Sharks are the World Series championships champions. Excuse me. Yeah, that was that was that was definitely a tough one. For I can't imagine that being I can't imagine that being easy for you, buddy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, what can you do? Okay, uh, my number four is uh, a game that you already alluded to, but uh, in twenty fourteen, Game Seven, Giants. Uh, all you need to know is that it was Madison Bumgarner who who came in and just was lights out. And uh, that that was the probably one of the greatest uh, single performances I've seen um, in baseball and probably in many other sports, especially given how difficult of a task it was for him to uh, come in from the bullpen and uh, on short rest and just absolutely dominate. So uh, that's why it's my number four. Alright, so my game four can be described in two words. 18 innings. Game three of the 2018 World Series between the Red Sox and the Dodgers. The Red Sox had a chance to win that game in the bottom of the 13th, I want to say, but Kinsler, who's normally a very solid defender, botched that botched, botched the ball. And the Red Sox were able to force most of the Dodgers relievers to 
record more than three outs in that game, which is which was crucial the next night because they were all taxed. Whereas Nathan Eovaldi, who's still Boston strong, was able to come in and throw six shutout innings to keep guys like Barnes, Brazier, and Kelly all rested for game four. And uh, I'd say it worked out pretty nicely, but Max Muncy with the walk-off home run, I think, I think our great history teacher knew him as a kid. I may be mistaken, but this is Lopeshansky, good times. But what a game. And I remember yeah. the next night getting so frustrated at ge- after the pre come run, but I'd say it worked out in our favor. I, I would say so, too. Okay, so time for the top three. Uh, at three, I have uh, the 2011 World Series, uh, Game 6, Cardinals over Rangers, 13, 12, and 11 innings. Um, I, I would say that this was the this was the saving grace in a Astros fans uh, probably one of their least favorite years. Uh, just just in general, the early 2010s were not were not fun for Astros fans. But um, having the Rangers potentially win a World Series would have hurt a little bit more. Uh, but uh, but something to talk about this game is that basically the Rangers came one strike away from uh, from winning or from clinching the World Series in Game 6, but uh, basically the Cardinals were able to pull it off and uh, and end up ended up winning that game in, in 11, which is uh, absolutely phenomenal. So this is actually my number three also. The score of this game was 11 to 10 to 9. I think you and I, have, you have the 13 to 12 mistaken for another game in your top two. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> All right, so and, uh, to your point, I watched the uh, re- MLB recap of this game on YouTube before this to prepare. When David Priest hit that fly ball to right that tied the game, the ball was inches away from the growth of Nelson Cruz. The Rangers were one strike and a few inches short of a World Series championship. And... In the top of the 10th, the Rangers took the lead, but the Cardinals were able to tie it again with two outs, and then you all know the rest. David Freeze, walk-off home run. Cardinals go on to win game seven. History completely rewritten as it starts to rain here. I don't know if you can hear that, but either way, what a game. What a game. So, And the fact that it's number three on the list speaks more about the top two than it does about this game. Yeah. Uh so, kind of alluding to your uh, for to my mistake about the the score, my number two pick, uh, which is surprisingly not my number one. Oh wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, my bad. Well, to relate to my number three, it wasn't easy for the Cardinals to pull off what they pulled off. But you know what is easy? Podcasting with Anchor. All right, sorry to interrupt you, Connor. We had to get the sponsorship in for our good friends from Anchor. Who? What's your number two? Okay, uh, so uh, my number two was the mistake I made earlier in, uh, in the previous pick. Uh, it was a game that ended 13-12. It was the 2017 uh, Game 5 Astros over Dodgers, uh, which, which lasted 10 innings and also lasted 5 hours and 17 minutes. But I watched all 5 hours and 17 minutes with... Uh, with uh, you know, it was just a crazy game full of uh, twists and turns, and I am very happy that the Astros ended up on top because it, it could have gone very differently. I must say, uh, that's commitment. Because uh, I think I went to the bed after the fifth inning, albeit I had early morning cross-country this 
the next morning, but that was also my that's also my number two, game five, 2017. Obviously the result is a little tainted now because of the science stealing scandal, but that does not that doesn't take away Oh please. That doesn't take away from how amazing this game was to watch. I mean it was back and forth, back and forth. Neither team gave up. Just when you thought the Astros were out of it, boom, they came back. Just when you thought the Dodgers were out of it, boom, they came back. And uh, ultimately, the home team ended up winning. And skeptics are, skeptics are out there today, but it was still an amazing game. And I think we have the same number one, Connor. I, I, I think so, too. I'll, I'll kind of touch on it, but I'll let you, I'll let you finish it. Uh, I don't think I don't think you can really make a uh, a list of the top ten best World Series games without including uh, the Cubs over the Indians, um, twenty sixteen World Series. Of course, one year after um, the uh, the supposed um, win of the Cubs from Back to the Future. Oh uh, uh, yeah! Oh yeah! That's right. Still. Definitely, uh, definitely deserves number one just because of the game, but also because of the legacy uh, behind the Cubs. Uh, but I'll let you touch a little bit more on the game. And, I mean, yeah, because uh, in that in that game, the Cubs brought Chapman in in the eighth, but he actually gave up a tying home run to Rajay Davis. The game goes into extras, then gets then actually gets delayed because of the weather, which we've got some outside right now in Houston. And then Zobris with the go ahead hit, and then. The Cubs actually were up by two, and the Indians got run back, but I can't remember who the final out was on, but it was a chopper to Bryant, threw it to, swung it to Rizzo, and that was that. 108 years in the making, Cubs are World Series champions once again. Okay, on that note, time for the history lesson, boys and girls, where we honor great achievements of the past in the coming week. 55 years ago today, April 25th, my Boston Celtics secured the NBA championship beating the Lakers in the finals four games to one. It was the seventh of eight straight Celtics titles and eighth of Bill Russell's 11. 37 years ago, Monday, April 27th, Nolan Ryan officially became the strikeout king, passing the all-time leader, Walter Johnson. Ryan ended his career with a jaw-dropping 5,714 strikeouts. 34 years ago, Wednesday, April 29th, Roger Clemens set the MLB record for strikeouts in a game, striking out 20 Mariners. No one has broken Clemens' record since. Clemens actually did it again on another occasion, but Max Scherzer has tied it. 39 years ago, Friday, May 1st, Billie Jean King acknowledged a lesbian relationship. King, who had already transcended as one of the greatest tennis players ever, became even more so when she became the first prominent sportswoman to come out. Alright, on that note, on to our discussion about the top 10 NBA playoff moments of the 2010s. I'll bet you we have somewhat differing lists here, Connor, so start us off with your number 10. Well, uh, before I touch on the actual Damian Willard uh, buzzer beater, which I will always hate forever, I will talk about his other buzzer beater, which came in 2019 uh, against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, basically, Damian Lillard is a, a very amazing last-second shot uh, player, and uh, this was this was one of the moments where I was just like, I could not believe that he had hit another uh, buzzer beater to win a series. I'm sorry, that's your number 10? That is my number 10. I think that's ludicrous, but okay. My number 10 is uh, 
actually a series. It is the 2011 NBA Finals between Dirk Nowitzki and the Dallas Mavericks and the first finals for the Heatles with LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. Everyone was picking the Heat to go in. Everybody. But the Mavericks were able to steal game two on the road, take two of three at home to go up 3-2. Then the Heat, people were saying, oh, the Heat are going to win game six and seven at home. Nope. Dirk Nowitzki won a ring before LeBron James, and that ring eluded LeBron for one more year. Oh, my goodness. And that was the year I really began to dislike LeBron, not because of... And it was really because of my dad, because my dad was like, we don't like LeBron James. But now I have, I have great respect for what he does off the court, but, man, I want him to lose every time he hits that court, except when he's playing the Warriors, more on them later. <laughs> Okay, my number nine, uh, throwing it back all the way, uh, this was Ron Artest, who basically had a amazing Game 7. Uh, of course, this is against your Boston Celtics, so... Uh, that's, why sure, it's not, that's why it's not on there. I'm sure you are a little hesitant to put this one on there, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, now he's known as Metal World Peace, but this kind of... This kind of blew up his uh, his coverage in the media, and uh, it was the first time I really um, started liking his his play, especially because I respected how uh, how great he was in that game seven. All right, so my number nine is uh, from game three of the twenty seventeen finals when the Cleveland was up by two. Uh, yeah, they were up by two, but. Not before Kevin Durant stepped up for a three-pointer on the left wing and absolutely buried it to give Golden State the lead. He did the same thing a year later to put the game away, but this gave Golden State a lead they would never, they would never relinquish. And this was the this for me was the moment that told me that Kevin Durant was for real. I mean, because we, I remembered him most for blowing that three-one lead the year prior against Golden State, but. My heart just sank once he hit that three because I was rooting so hard against the Warriors. For once, I was rooting for LeBron, but oh my god, my heart just sank. And during the waiting moments of the game, after Iguodala's walk, I'm just like, oh my god, the NBA is not going to be fun for the next year, year or so. <laughs> yeah, I, I, number eight, uh, as I alluded to earlier, Damian Lillard. I, I didn't want to put this on the list, but it, I think it just. It, it was so shocking, so just amazing. But in 2014, uh, his buzzer beater to, to beat the Rockets 98 99-98. Um, it was just it was just like heartbreaking for Houston fans. But uh, it was it's definitely worthy of being on this list. Absolutely, my number eight is also a Rockets moment, but not that Rockets moment. It's actually from 2015 when they were down by 18 in Game 6 against the LA Clippers in LA nonetheless and then out of nowhere Corey Brewer starts hitting threes, Jason Terry starts hitting threes, Josh Smith takes over the role players from that Rockets team with James Harden on the bench got them all the way back to where they took the lead and then ended up winning the game by 15 so in a spent the Rockets outscored the Clippers by 33 over the last 17 or so minutes of the game, and that just spoke to the grit that that Rockets team had with guys like Prigioni, and that was that was the first year I really watched NBA basketball, 
It wasn't the first year I watched the Celtics. It was the first year I really got into NBA basketball, though. Yeah, I, that's a that's a great game that I forgot, but kind of a, a game that I will not forget is uh, is Game Three of the 2019 Western Conference uh, series with the Rockets being the Warriors and OT. Uh, arguably, James Harden's best playoff moment, uh, scoring 41 uh, and basically just dominating uh, a Warriors team, which I I had you know always thought of as a unstoppable and uh they're the Rockets biggest competitor and uh and we seem to always find a way to lose to them but that was uh that was definitely one of my favorite uh postseason moments even now you still seem to find a way to lose to them all right so my number seven is (laughs) something you alluded to earlier it's Damian Lillard's dagger against the Rockets I have gone an OKC higher on my list because of the difficulty of the shot but it was off an inbound 0.9 0.9 seconds left on the clock, got it off on the left wing, and then Portland goes into a pandemonium. It was their first series win in a long, long time, and it's never going to waver from our memories, and yours more so than mine. <laughs> okay, my number six, uh, this, this was the Western Conference Series in 2016, uh, Specifically, Game Seven, though. Um, of course, the War- uh, the Warriors were down three one against the Thunder, which uh, which you know it, it seemed like the Warriors were a done deal. Yet uh, they found their way back, and, and that was their, that was their seventy three and nine year too. That that it was, and we all thought, wow, they had this great regular season, but maybe it wasn't worth trying to stretch so many wins out um, to to beat the record when they might get knocked out by the Thunder, but the Thunder just collapsed, and you know what happened the next year? Kevin Durant came to the war- or went to the Warriors. If you can't so beat him, if you can't beat him, join him was Kevin Durant's philosophy. That that is that is very true. Alright, so my number six is uh from the twenty eighteen finals, game one. The score is tied at one oh seven. George Hill has a free throw to give Cleveland a chance to take the lead. The score is such an easy thing to remember. But ball goes off the rim J.R. Smith gets the rebound, and instead of putting it back up, he decides to dribble it outside of the three-point line as if he's running out the clock. And the Cavs, I don't even think they got a shot off. And that picture of LeBron asking J.R. Smith what the H.E. double hockey stick he was doing will never fade from my mind or fade from basketball history. And quite frankly, it's ridiculous that an NBA player can't seem to remember the score. It's ludicrous. And to this day, I consider that to be the dumbest thing I've ever seen in sports. Yeah, I, I, have, that, I have that one coming up. So, um, it, yeah, you'll have to wait till I, I talk about that uh, and talk about that a little bit more. But my number five, again, is something that uh, Rockets fans would like to forget. And that was the 2019 uh Game six, uh, yeah. Warriors, Warriors, Rockets. Uh, of course, without Kevin Durant uh, and Curry scoring zero points in the first half, comes comes back to the second half, drops thirty three points, and again figures a way to to beat the Rockets and uh, advance to the advance to uh, the NBA Finals. It was the Western Conference Finals they advanced to, and I guess. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, but eventually. 
they, they yeah. made yeah. it back to the finals. The Warriors have knocked out the Rockets for the last five years. That's insane. So my number five is uh, maybe a little bit of bias to it, but my number five is from the 2017 Eastern Conference semifinals. Game two of the series between the Celtics and Wizards. One game after Isaiah Thomas had a tooth knocked out. It was on his sister's birthday, who had died days earlier. He proceeded to drop 53, including, I think, 29 combined in the fourth quarter in overtime. It just went to show how much of a clutch gene Isaiah Thomas had when he was wearing that number four. And I miss him a lot, man. I wish the Celtics had made more of an effort to pick him up as a, to play a reserve role, but here we are, and he will always be loved in Boston for that one game because... It just goes to show how much of a blue collar city Boston is. Yeah, of course, of course, uh, the Celtics uh, are are one of the key components to possibly his uh, irrelevance nowadays in the NBA. But oh yeah, abso- absolutely, absolutely. Of course, of course, that's probably that, something a lot of Celtics, Celtics fans are are unhappy with uh, that, how that, that happened. That trade ended up to be a big failure. But, uh, but of course, that, that is a very memorable game. Of course, okay. but, but then again, we may not have gotten Kimball Walker, so... That, that, is, that is true. Uh, my, my last four all share a very common theme, and that's they share a somewhat of a connection with LeBron James. Uh, number four will probably be one of the... Uh, it probably could be higher, but I chose the other three... Um, uh, the other three, just a little bit, just because of this was kind of a, um, uh, this was not necessarily a play or a game, but a lack of playing in a game. Draymond Green in 2016 gave it to Oh, yeah. Five. Uh, that was huge. An absolute, just, it, it, many credit the, the Cavaliers win in 2016 to this suspension as, and as do I. As ball. do I. Uh, because because Draymond Green was uh, you know able to play such a big pre- have a, such a big presence in the games that this this suspension kind of led to the the demise of the Warriors. All right, so my number four is something you touched on earlier, and that is Damian Lillard's dagger against OKC. It's I don't know, it's higher for me because to me that was just I had been doubting Damian Lillard for a while up until that point, and. His reaction after the shot went in, completely straight faced, was just absolute the most cupped up thing I've ever seen watching NBA basketball. And oh my goodness, Paul George was saw Hulk T. And that shot ended in error in OKC because Paul George was traded that offseason, as was Russell Westbrook. They've done surprisingly well so far this season, but still, end of an era, man. Wow. Yeah, that's. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, my number three is something you touched on earlier, which is, uh, of course, J.R. Smith's uh, inability to score uh, at the last seconds of Game One of the 2018 uh, Finals. Probably, probably one of my least favorite moment, moments to watch on TV. <laughs> as uh, I was, I was, of course, well, I, I am always, uh, I've always cheered for. Uh, LeBron James when he when I don't have a team in the finals and um, and just like seeing this and seeing this probably be his last series in uh, in a Cavaliers uniform it was kind of it was kind of tough to see them 
uh, ended, ending up losing game one because of something so silly as J.R. Smith's uh, lack of uh, understanding of the game. Oh, man. I, I was in Alaska when that game happened, and I was in a with my family. I went up to use the restroom. I caught the end of... I was able to catch that moment. I'm just like... I just shook my head, thinking as if J.R. Smith knew what he was doing. I'm just like, what? Uh, all right. But then I learned that he thought the score was tied, and didn't know what he was doing. All right, so my number three goes as this. LeBron James puts up a three. Won't go. Rebound Bosch. Back out to Allen. His three. Bang! That's my number three. Ray Allen's clutch shot in game six of 2013. Yeah, 2013. And Chris Bosch won the NBA Finals for the Miami Heat by grabbing an offensive rebound. People undervalued him in the NBA today, but that that rebound goes to show how critical it is to crash the glass on both ends. And yeah. I am a little eh about that because Ray Allen and the Celtics had a bit of a tough ending, but you can't deny the uh, greatness of that shot. You can't. I, I actually have that one ranked, ranked further on, but uh, I guess you'll see where I have it ranked after I reveal my number two. My number two uh, comes in 2016 from LeBron James's uh, epic block in Game 7, which uh, solidified the game. Uh, an absolute, like, golden play, one of the best photos and uh highlights of an NBA playoff game in general oh, yeah. the finals and this this basically goes into the storyline that uh, LeBron James wins a, uh, a finals with Cleveland alright so my number two quite frankly I am stunned this is not on your list I'm stunned but oh and lightning has just struck but Kawhi Leonard game seven against Philadelphia Throws up a player at the buzzer, and you see the faces as it's... You, you can see Embiid's face, you can see Kawhi's face, the faces on the Raptors' bench as they all wait as for whether or not the shot goes in. After four bounces, it sinks in. Pandemonium. Kawhi had 41 points in the game, and ultimately, it ended up being pretty big as Toronto went on to win the finals. I'm, I'm stunned you don't have that. Yeah, I, I mean... Thinking, thinking back to it, I think the reason why I didn't didn't look at that more was because uh, Kawhi Leonard mostly was kind of a like I I think he was a hired for one year just just to get the Raptors a uh, a, a finals uh, appearance and uh, and while yes I I probably should have ranked that on my top ten I I more think of Kawhi Leonard's dominance and in a Spurs uniform, uh, kind of as his legacy. Uh, okay. So, uh, but my number one is uh, the Ray Allen three-pointer in 2013. Uh, I think I think the reason why it's my number one is not only because of how great of a shot it was, but, but uh, because of all the Miami fans which had left the stadium. Oh, yeah, that's and, right. And all of a sudden were trying to get back in, yet they couldn't uh, because of the the doors being locked and uh, they weren't allowed back in for re-entry. So you just saw swarms of these people just waiting outside, watching watching uh, the the rest of the game because of how like 
clutch a Ray Allen's three-pointer was when everyone thought the game was over. You never leave a game early. That's true. Never. And then my number one is something you also touched on earlier. Game 7 of the 2016 Finals, when LeBron blocked the Adela and Kyrie ugh, hit that go-ahead three-pointer in. It's number one for me because the odds were stacked against them. They were they were down three to one even with Draymond suspended. The odds were still stacked against them. It was Game Seven at the Oracle, and this is a team that had won seventy three games. But when you're LeBron James, you find a way to get it done, and LeBron found a way to get it done. Whether or not he's the goat, that's a debate for another time. But you cannot deny the greatness of the performance of LeBron James in Game Seven. That's very true. Well, folks, that's all the time we have for today. I'm Connor Asgary. I'm Liam Griffin. I'd like to thank Connor for being my guest once again today, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to give this podcast a follow on Instagram, Apple Podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please DM the podcast or contact me directly. Be sure to tune in next week for our breakdown of the top 10 all-time quarterbacks and starting pitchers right now. Please, please, please stay healthy, wash your hands, stay home, and stay positive, and we'll see you next week.